Welcome to Beaver Lodge Alliance's sermon podcast. We're so glad to join you. This is the latest sermon. We pray that you would receive encouragement, exhortation, and that Jesus would speak to you through this sermon. Enjoy. Good morning. I'm Esther Johnstone, and I have the privilege of speaking today. It's kind of odd because I've spoken the last two years, either the last Sunday of, De- of December or the first Sunday of January. And I recall saying last year that I could have just recycled my previous sermon. And this is true today. <clears throat> because last year I spoke on Habakkuk. And even though, and there's so many even those that we could talk about. Well, I have a new message. You might be relieved to know. And many are very glad that 2020 is finally over. And we can look to 2021 to see what God has for us. Sorry. I won't go out and buy a, a Time magazine. You know they usually have a year in review. Thank you. Because for many of us, we don't want to see the year in review. <clears throat> Hopefully, we, when we look back on 2020, I don't know if we will say, oh, it wasn't so bad. Because there are people around who have been terrified. And I'm sure we've all been a bit dazed and hoping for better things. How could this be? And we're glad that we are done with that, so now we can look forward. And I want us this morning to allow ourselves to see something of God's said and his providence. Surely our God has not abandoned us. Surely he still has plans for each one of us. Has he been stunned by things that are happening and have happened, the global pandemic? No. He hasn't stood there in the heavens and thrown up his hands and said, what is happening, dear, dear? No, none of that. I want us to look at two amazing narratives in the Bible. And hopefully in the sharing, you will be encouraged as I have been. Most of you will know both stories, but if you're new to the Christian faith, you may want to get your Bibles out and through the week read both stories. Uh, Perhaps you've thought of them only as romantic novels, and they would make amazing Hallmark movies. But there are lessons for us today. Now, the first story is the book of Ruth, from the book of Ruth, and it's really only four little chapters. Won't take you long to read it, even this afternoon. And really, it's told the story of Naomi. From Naomi's point of view, now her sufferings begin with a famine in the land of Judah. She and her husband and two sons then decide to go to Moab. There, her husband dies. Her sons have matured and married Moabite women. It turns out that the sons too die. and no offspring. So Naomi is now widowed and with barren daughter-in-laws 
And in that culture, both issues were bad. No place in society or source of income. In thinking about it, she truly feels God has raised his hand against her. She's full of bitter hopelessness, disconnected. In fact, she says, call me Mara, bitter. In a wonderful book called The Gospel of Ruth, which was loaned to me by a friend here, uh, by Carolyn Curtis James, she points out just how bereft Naomi is in her culture. She feels like a leftover, like surely her purpose has expired. She has gone beyond the best before date. Sometimes I feel like that. She decides to return to Bethlehem because she found out that her people actually were being fed. And so it would be a little better. And oftentimes when we're at our wit's end, we want to go home. She's marginalized in the society. And it says in, well, in the book of the Gospel of Esther, or Ruth, sorry, even when there's nothing left but rubble, God is mysteriously at work in the mess. There's a dramatic moment when Naomi wants to send her two daughter-in-laws back to Moab. It seems like they'd left the country a little bit, and then Naomi says, well, you two go back, and hopefully you'll find place with your families. And the choice by Ruth alters the course of Israel's history. She is loyal and says she won't leave Naomi, even knowing she has some strikes against her, being a foreigner in the land of Bethlehem in that area. Now, they arrive in Bethlehem, and as the author points out, Naomi is unaware of the fact that in, instead of setting her aside as she first thought, God is readying her for a strategic kingdom mission. Ruth didn't shrink back from what she had to do, and she actually went out to glean, according to the custom, which is an interesting way of taking care of the poor and of the marginalized. They left grain in the edges of the field, and people were allowed to go along there. And she unwittingly ends up in Boaz's fields. Now, this triggers what we would consider odd behavior and the customs. And you don't want to actually follow those customs, by the way. Those were the custom of the day, and they may be a little shocking as you read it. Yet still, there were amazing results. Ruth was coached by Naomi in some surprising and very gutsy behavior. Ruth was actually checking things out doing what was asked and what was needed. And this is where Carolyn Curtis James points out that it is God's said in their lives. Now, said, what on earth is that? It's a Hebrew word. Someone cares and has freely made it their business to look out for you. And actually, it's the same thing with God's said. But Ruth does said for Naomi looking out for Naomi, and Boaz does the said for Ruth, 
Now, it turns out Boaz is a man of valor. And if you look at Matthew chapter 1, you will see that Boaz's mother was actually Rahab, a prostitute. And it's just crazy and incredible how God used that. And there's Boaz, raised and reared in that situation. And he does the right thing. He gives protection to Ruth. And later on, he actually continues to do the right thing and find out, and of course, it turns out that Boaz is the kinsman redeemer. He is a relative of Naomi. And so he follows the customs and works through it. Now, prosperity tends to dull our senses to the presence of God. I think that's true. Look at what happened in 2020. Prosperity for many just went downhill, and there was no prosperity. It turned around, and debt piled up, and look at our governments. Uh, the said in our lives, this is the gospel of Ruth. Lamentations 3 says, because of the Lord's great love, he has said, when trouble strikes, God's love for us is still actively in force. The sense of love and loyalty that inspired our merciful and compassionate behavior towards another is the same and even deeper love and compassion and mercy that God shows for each one of us. So hang on to God's said. Look for God moments. Remember in VBS, the kids would come, and the first thing the person up here would ask is, Are any of you, do any of you have something to report about the God moments? And these kids would come up with things that they saw that God was at work. I think we need that too, the God moments. God is not absent at crucial moments of crisis. There is more to God's involvement in our lives than what our senses are able to detect. Uh, the author of that book points out that when uh, Gagarin, the Russian, first man in space, went up into space and circled the earth, he said, there is no God up here, which, of course, he was raised in an atheistic culture. And then in 1968, when the three Americans went up and landed on the moon, they read Genesis 1 to 3. What a contrast. Now, not only do we have God's said, which is God's compassion and love and looking out for us, we have his providence. And here's an, um, what providence is. There's a lot more going on than what we see. For God is at work behind the scenes to keep things moving in the direction of his ultimate goals for us as individuals and also for the world. We can focus on God's activity in guiding our lives. Now, the book actually ends with Boaz figuring out how he can redeem the land for Naomi and actually ultimately for Ruth. And he marries Ruth. And when you read the book you understand it kind of finishes quickly. But there is Naomi realizing, I am not alone wrestling when I don't sense God's love and when I can't imagine 
why he doesn't step in and bring happier tomorrows. The child renews Naomi. Such a joyful moment in the book. There is Naomi, just blessed with this little Obed. And the birth of Obed is a picture of the gospel, suffering and sacrifice, the joy of renewed life, and hope for the future all mingled together. This is the gospel of Ruth. And then Obed begat, uh, down the line it goes, and it's the line of David, and uh, Jesus came from that line. So said and Providence, it reminds me of another story, the book of Esther. And it's a little longer to read, but it is fascinating. And if you read it with the eyes of Hesed and Providence, things can really pop out for you. And even though we do not understand that culture either, and we may have big questions about all that happens according to that culture, yet God is there. And God isn't even mentioned once in the whole book of Esther. There's a crisis at the beginning. Queen Vashti refuses to be paraded before King Xerxes and his court, who were having a string of feasts. And I don't understand this, but they had actually feasted for six months. And then they had one week that they were going to, uh, a few select ones were together. And the king decided to bring out, he wanted his queen to come out because she was so beautiful. Now, his wise men knew that this attitude of, oh, she refused, so a very big attitude of disrespect, refusing the king. His wise men knew that this attitude of disrespect and discord would spread like COVID throughout Persia and Median provinces. And so they gather and they said, well, what choice have we got? We have to banish that queen. So indeed, she was banished. And through a Miss Universe contest, because they were asked to go throughout and find a replacement, Esther ends up in the king's harem. Yeah, I know. There's a big question about that. We can find out in heaven, I guess. The conspiracy by the high-ranking official, though, Haman engineers a decree that would have seen all of the Jewish nation annihilated because they were scattered because they'd been brought back to Babylon. Now Mordecai is Esther's uncle who actually provided the said. He looked after Esther uh, and so he was there close by watching over her. And he sent word over to Esther, look what's happening. Look at what has been sent out to the provinces. Our people are going to be destroyed on a certain day. Now, they did give long notice, by the way. It was a great deal of notice. But Esther 4.14 says that Mordecai, I said to Esther, for if you remain silent at this time, because actually he didn't know that she was a Jew. The king didn't know that. Relief and deliverance will arise from another place but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you've come to 
to your royal position for such a time as this. Now, those are verses that are very familiar to those of us who've grown up in the church. And we've heard lots of messages on that. Yes, Esther, look at that. God's providence. And who knows? And yet Mordecai also says, if you're not willing to make this big sacrifice, because it could be your head if you go to the king and he doesn't hold out his golden scepter, um, God will find another way. So it's providential that Esther is in this strategic position to save her people. And she gets her people to fast and pray for three days. Esther takes the risk of knowing the king has to hold out his scepter. We aren't really told why she decides to request uh, another day for her husband, for the king, and for Haman to come to her place. But she held a feast, and they came one day, and he had held out his scepter, giving her permission to speak. And she didn't tell him why she wanted to see him. She delayed it one day. And there's a crazy providential time when the king cannot sleep. And so what does he do? He calls for his group to, to bring the history books. And they read the history to him. Maybe that'll make him fall asleep. And that's where he learns of Mordecai saving the king's neck. Providential. And as a result of that, Mordecai is honored according to their custom. And it actually is quite a hilarious time because Haman, of course, thinks it's he who is being honored. And when he speaks how you honor a person in their kingdom, of course, and worst of worst, he has to lead the horse that Mordecai is seated on and through the streets. So why did I remind you of the stories of Ruth and of Esther? Both were brave to their calling, to their destiny, to their purpose. And one day this summer, when I was at a low point, I was listening to David Jeremiah, and he said, you know, when we go to, to counselors, we usually prayed out all the worst things that have happened to us, the terrible things, and then the counselor helps us face them and work through them. And he said, why don't we sit down and write down all the great ways in which we have seen God's hand in our life? The, the providence of God, the Hussein, Hussein of God. And I did. I sat down and went through. Now, it's not exhaustive. But why don't we do that every New Year's and look back on the year before? Why do we say, well, we're going to make some New Year's resolutions? How encouraging it is to look back and say, hey, look what God did there. He was there when I was lost, just outside of Calgary, and Hillary was able to guide me back. He was there when I was headed into Medicine Hat, and I made a wrong turn and lost again. All these little things, but that's God's providence and has said at work. Now, it's not just COVID as we look back. It's a lot of things in our society, attacks on our values, on our Christian values, on our faith, on free speech. And if you're like me, you're almost half afraid to say anything in public 
because it could be twisted and maybe turned against us. But our leaders need the wisdom to discern. You know, in Esther 1.13, it says, The king spoke with the wise man who understood the times. Now that tells me not everybody has a good grip on what's happening. And I'm not political at all, so I'm not a good one to ask about that. Uh, and then in First Chronicles, it says, They had man of Issachar who understood the times and knew what to do. There were 200 of them. They knew truth, and they had wisdom, and they knew how to apply it. So we actually need what are called outriders. We need our pastors. We need our boards. We need people of leadership to help discern. You know, the outriders, I'm not a cowboy, but at the Calgary Stampede, the time I went, and see the chuck wagon races, you see what the outriders do. They have a job at the beginning, but then as the race goes on, they also look out for things. So that's the same of our leadership, looking out for things. There's so many more I could reference. If you read through the Bible and through the Gospels right now, you would see God's said and his providence. Just looking at Mary and Joseph, it was providential that they had um, a census at that time, and that's what took them into Bethlehem. Uh, Simeon and Anna were waiting many years to see the Messiah, and it was providential that they were there when Mary and Joseph brought Jesus in. Job, man, there's lots there, because his three comforters actually gave him information that would have been what they considered at the time. But he needed even more of God's said. Jacob, in Genesis 28, says, he had, well, if you read his story, he was headed north to live. And he had a dream one night. And when he awoke, it says, verse 16b, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. And verse 15 says, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And my message would never be complete if I didn't quote Max Licato, who says, Though we may not be able to see his purpose or his plan, the Lord of heaven is on his throne and in, is in firm control of the universe and of our lives. Some of the failed plans in 2020 have forever altered the future. Some of our foundations have crumbled around us with no promise of being rebuilt or no promise of returning to what we consider normal. Let us willingly orient our lives to line up with whatever God is doing, even though we don't understand it all and certainly don't know what's still to come. That song, Goodness of God, that came out of Bethel recently has, I love you, Lord, for your mercy never fails me. That's his Assad. All my days I've been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up until I lay my head, oh, I will sing of the goodness of God, even if we don't feel like it's his goodness. 
All my life you have been faithful, and all my life you've been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. I love your voice. You've led me through the fire. In the darkest night, you are close like no other. I've known you as a father. I've known you as a friend. And I have lived in the goodness of God. And later on, it talks about being surrendered to him. I'll finish with a, a poem that was written and quoted by King George VI. And I quoted this two years ago, too. And it's the, the poem, I said to the man who stood at the gate of the year, give me a light that I may tread safely into the unknown. And he replied, go in, out into the darkness and put your hand into the hand of God. That shall be better than light and safer than a known way. So I went forth and finding the hand of God, trod gladly into the night. So let us do that today. God bless each one of you. Thank you for joining us. If you have questions or comments or are just wanting to know more about our church, check out our website at www.beaverlodgealliancechurch.com as well as you can find us on Facebook or feel free to email us at office at beaverlodgealliancechurch.com. We pray that today you would know the love and manifest presence of Jesus. <laughs>